this digital transformation is going to have to happen if you want to remain successful in this business. And the person that leads it is the one that has the closest view and the deepest understanding of the end consumer. Be a leader. Think beyond your domain. Because it doesn't happen in one domain, it happens across multiple domains to bring an outcome to life. So think beyond your role and think about what a general manager would do. Be a general manager. Have that mindset. Be a leader. Welcome to the Future of Consumer and Retail podcast by SAP. As the consumer products industry faces unprecedented challenges, marketing and sales are increasingly reliant on tight back office integration. I'm your host, Matt Gardner, and I'm joined here today by two fast-moving consumer good veterans to discuss this topic. Sonny Neely in SAP's Consumer Products Industry Business Unit. Sonny held senior brand management roles at both Coca-Cola and Ferrero before joining SAP. And John Dano, Consumer Products Industry Executive Advisor at SAP. John spent 19 years at Campbell's where he held a number of leadership roles, including VP of Sales Technology. My first question, what do we mean when we say the front office and the back office are converging in consumer products? Thanks for having me on this podcast. Excited to be here. And I tell you what, if you had told me five years ago that the back office could break my front office numbers when I was a brand manager, it really would have gotten my attention. Brand managers in many companies are considered the owner of the brand, the CEO of the brand. They're often the P&L owner. But there's a focus that brand managers have on advertising, on managing agencies, thinking about engaging with consumers, where often that's where the priority lands. And what happens in the back office can often be a secondary thought. But that is changing, and it's changing in a lot of ways. Think about direct-to-consumer, the rise of e-commerce. At Coca-Cola, Ferrero, and a lot of other FMCG companies out there, you know, they've been used to shipping large pallets or cases of products to retailers, and that has been their B2B market for so long. Now they've got to establish a direct relationship with those consumers, and the same company is going to be shipping eaches or individual products to individual consumers. That's really hard to try and do that with the same order system because you're not set up to do those two different business models. And it's not just ordering. I mean, what about the financial reconciliation that happens? There's so many different costs that come into trying to reach an end consumer individually versus having just the revenue coming straight in from a retailer. It's exciting to see the impetus that happened in the marketplace over the last few years that's necessitating this, but also the availability of the technologies that really make it possible. Leaders are realizing this is something that can be done, and they're illustrating that anyone can start to do this. John, what's your perspective on this? Thanks, Matt. That's great to be here. And it's a compelling question, right? If we think about consumer products companies over the years, they've had a lot of success. Brands are powerful. But if you really look underneath the covers, functions like marketing, IT, supply chain, they operate in silos, right? And I think the silos component has made big brand companies a little inflexible, particularly in modern times now vulnerable to smaller, faster competitors that have now entered the market. So front office and back office convergence, it's really about see a cross-functional orchestration that must occur. Really, it's the only way to survive in a fast-moving marketplace like we're in today. Thanks, John. What other factors would we say are involved in this? The other things that come to mind for me are the importance of consumer insights in product development. 
New product development in the past has been kind of a rule of thumb where someone who's got a lot of experience with it does a small consumer study, but really drilling down and understanding the deep consumer insights that are available now to drive new product development could even revolutionize that whole part of the business. I think another thing that hasn't been available before is the granularity of consumer demand information, the ability to shape that demand that could inform the demand planning, the supply chain process. And finally, I think there are a lot of new business models even beyond direct-to-consumer that are emerging. New business models that could completely reshape consumer packaged goods as we know it. Things like community buying groups, where a community, like in the case of a high-rise, this is happening a lot in China, a high-rise will get together and, you know, with a simple marketplace can have one single drop-off, a joint purchase for their groceries for the week. So the retailers are disintermediated. You know, in some cases, these products aren't even branded. It's just wholesale products coming from factories. That's one, you know, and then there's consumer to manufacturer. This is a situation where some of these retailers like Shein, some of these really interesting fast fashion players out there, they're producing thousands of new product ideas and having them directly produced and shipped from a network of contract manufacturers, again, all over China, but this is a model that's coming to different markets. So I think there's so many things that are happening in the marketplace now where as a brand manager, you can't afford to be in the ivory tower. You can't afford to be hanging out with the advertising agency and thinking about market research all day. You've got to be in the front office and the back office astride the two of them to be successful. So it's a pretty interesting time to say the least. Yeah, you know, I've had the privilege in my career to work alongside uh, as a leadership team member for some business presidents, general managers, and most of their background came from being a brand manager, managing different brands over time. And the difference that I see with those folks now in the position that they are, and some reasons that they got to the position of senior executive that they did, is because they had this general manager mindset even when they were a brand manager, right? Thinking about the full construct of what it takes to bring a product to market. Thinking about the full construct of what it takes to be able to supply product that you're trying to promote and sell. So thinking about those things holistically and even looking beyond your own brand to see how the whole mechanism works and how the demand from the customer is coming in, how the promotions play out, how finances are allocated, right? That's all a mindset that's going to prepare you to be that business president, to be that general manager one day of a very large P&L. So when they're early in their career as a brand manager, where they're fighting for resources and they're really promoting their brands, if they just think beyond that silo, if they just think about front office and back office together, those are the ones that get to the top. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, Sonny, are there others that you see as well in addition to what John just spoke to? There's no shortage of ways that the front office and the back office influence one another. And it comes down to how agile is a company going to be? The new entrants that John mentioned earlier, you know, these are small companies where the marketing team is probably at one desk over from the operations guy and the finance guy. If they need to literally rotate on a dime and pivot, they can do it. But when you're in a 20,000 person company, shifting the aircraft carrier can be very difficult. Responding to a dramatic change in demand like COVID presented for us can be almost impossible. It's just more and more necessary to look for those linkages brand managers to be thinking about the back office, but also for the back office to be coming toward the front. And I think it can be enabled by technology. There's so many exciting ways we can do that. You know, Sonny, it's a good point. We're focused on the brand manager here in this discussion, but if you really want a successful operation, each functional area, each lead that has a piece of this commercialization process to bring a new product to market, an example, 
they all have to have that bigger picture in mind. They all have to understand the back office components of how the operation links together, right? So I don't want to discount the other multiple functional areas that are part of this critical process of bringing products to market and selling, et cetera. But in terms of the brand manager, you think about direct-to-consumer these days, right? It's hot, right? Omnichannel is really here to stay. It's the dominant player in the marketplace now from a retailer perspective. And the challenge now is not necessarily even, okay, how do we bring a direct-to-consumer capability to the business? It's how do we make it profitable? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, that that really is a compelling challenge and a distinct accountability of that brand manager in terms of the profitability of these newer routes to market. And that, again, requires a strong linkage to the back of the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. It looks like for a lot of companies, just because of the nature of the market, they're just getting started with this. So I'm just curious, any ideas on what are the first steps brand leaders should be taking to address issues like this? I like to say it all begins with data. You know, it's about having a centralized, unified database. And now that things are changing in privacy, things like third-party cookies are being deprecated out there in 2023, that data needs to come in-house. And there are platforms, there are a lot of different ways to do it, but having a way to unify and ideally identify, so you've got known consumers within that database and a persistent record that allows you to understand them over the life cycle of their interaction with your brand, that's the way to do it. And the technology's there. For too long, the front office has relied on the media ecosystem and its agencies to kind of own the relationship or own the data on the consumers. They've allowed their most important collaborators, retailers, to build a much greater amount of data. I mean, the typical large retailer has a tremendous amount of information about every product that's being purchased in the store. A typical grocery store is 40,000 SKUs. They know a whole lot more than a company that's selling toothpaste or something. So it's urgent that a data foundation is built to kind of underpin this agility moving forward and this ability to connect front office and back office functions. What I hear in that is the development of true, robust first-party data, or at least linked data across a group of partners that might be able to develop deep relationships with the consumer directly. John, any other areas that you'd add to this? Sure. So automation of the interaction between back office and front office functions, some of those areas really honestly can be addressed. You start thinking about your SNOP process, right? So it's that linkage where automation can play a role. And that's something that the marketer needs to think about. It's not just the tech tools to listen to social media channels, et cetera, some of your classical MarTech type platforms. This is more intricate and interdependent across automation of your business processes across the board. Hey, Sonny, one question I have for you, just in your experience managing brands, et cetera, my experience observing is marketing tech was always its own silo, Mm -hmm. right? Where you had marketers that were specifically in that space that were a little disconnected from the brand managers, right? And when we're talking about consumer data and really being able to understand consumer data and leverage the capability, like, has that evolved at all in marketing functions? Because I feel like it should be a skill set that every brand manager can possess to really understand the technology and the data that is available to them versus it being kind of managed separately? Well, certainly brand managers are becoming more tech savvy, and I think they're becoming more expert in their use of data. And that's partly because I think a lot of CPG companies have recognized or at least have taken the first couple of steps toward, okay, how are we going to centralize our data? 
But that doesn't mean that all the areas that the data is collected is a simple landscape. In fact, it's really a mess in many ways. There's a, there's kind of, they talk about the landfill, the MarTech landfill. You know, some of these companies, large global companies with lots of brands can have upwards of 90 different MarTech apps just in marketing. And think about it. They've got brand-specific apps. They've got market-specific apps. They even have campaign-specific technologies. You know, you'll do a campaign. You're like, hey, we're going to use this really cool new capability. And the data is captured within that campaign-specific app. There's not even a thought to bringing that in and unifying the consumers that engaged in that campaign with the known consumers that you have in your database. So it's an environment that is ripe for disruption. It's an environment that needs simplicity. And you've got to find a way to identify those strategic partners that may have suites of their own or have ecosystems that are integrated smoothly with their core capabilities to help brand managers simplify that. Yeah. Thinking about data at a much larger scale from a platform perspective, that there's an architecture behind it all. And thinking about that from a back office connectivity perspective and using your partners in technology, et cetera. Well, and CPG, unfortunately, is not helping itself in that there's not a very collaborative relationship typically between CMOs and CIOs. Only about 23% of companies say that that is a healthy relationship, right? So you got to start there. And that's a good example of how, hey, you know, maybe the CIO has been typically managing a lot of back office behind the scenes activity. That needs to come forward. And the MarTech decisions need to be made in very close conjunction with the brand teams and the CMO. So going back to data, I wanted to tell a little bit more of a story about the new product development aspect of it. Because when you think about what this unified database is going to do for a company that spends so much money on advertising, well, it's hopefully going to make that advertising more efficient. But it's also going to help the new product development process. And and you think, well, how's that going to work? Well, I mean, look, if you have a a large CPG that, that could easily amass, let's say, 10 million consumers in a customer data platform. The typical market research activity that's done for something like launching a new product would be to field 300 anonymous consumers and field a questionnaire, get a little bit of feedback, you know, a single point in time. But if you've got 10 million consumers, again, persistent, that you're engaging with constantly, you can use that data as the ideation source for your new product development ideas. Put those into the new product development funnel. You can use them to help vet prototypes. You can even use them to help identify the cohorts that would be early adopters. And nothing's going to change the fact that 80% of consumer products, goods, new products that are launched are failures. Okay. You have an 80% failure rate. I mean, if you can even improve that a little bit, you're talking about a significant impact in top and bottom line. At Coke, for example, you know, that new product development was in a different building. I met some of the folks, you know, white coats and all this stuff. It was completely separate from marketing. And, uh, you know, not to disparage, I know Coke has made a lot of progress, but still there's this chasm between the front office people and what's happening in back. And I really think that data enabled by the right technology is going to be the the key to drive that. It's funny. It brings to mind some experiences I had working in close quarters, actually, with the product development group for private label brands for Kroger. Part of what we brought to that in customer experience there and managing a team around research was this customer group. It would allow for these massive pivots and ensuring that we were seeing things ahead of time that otherwise probably would have been after the thing was already out in the market. And we're not talking complicated ways of getting data from consumers, but rather this personal relationship, that intimacy that's happening where qualitative data can now exist from consumers directly that like a brand or even don't like a brand, 
And it doesn't even have to be overly formalized. We're using some of the more modern artificial intelligence and machine learning. We were able to just take raw text that's being shared in the group and surface like something where you're shaking back and forth and it's filtering down to gold. Those would just rise up to the top of, oh, people really wanting seed to sale tracking of knowing this exact ingredient, this exact product, which country did it come from, which lot number. We were able to start to watch these trends emerge. Mm -hmm. And then as current ones would catch enough that it's like, hey, this could affect our bottom line. And this really goes back to this backend integration. Those things end up informing strategy in a way that can foresee things that you otherwise can't see. And what an amazing thing, if it's linked together, if the people in the back office actually can see the value in the front office data as well, this becomes a whole new story for people leading the marketplace, pivoting faster than competitors to really capture new markets as they emerge. Yeah. Yeah. No question. I, I think some of the metrics need to change. I think brand managers have been so focused on top line growth, revenue growth, and maybe brand awareness, brand health metrics, which really only affect the front office. But, you know, when they start thinking about return on marketing investment and, and overall profitability, but even new metrics that I think are critical, how many consumer records do you have in that central database? How much information do you have about each one of those consumers? You'll never get to the the level that Facebook has with you know fifty thousand uh, you know data <laughs> points per consumer, but you're going to need a significant amount of data. Something that John mentioned earlier: if you're going to go D to C, fantastic. You know you're not going to have to pay the markup for putting it into a retailer. But how much is it going to cost to have the product delivered? You know you're going to use third party logistics, etc. So, understanding your profitability as you start to evolve, it's not the same kinds of metrics that we've had in the past, where it's one department that has total ownership of the metric. These are shared metrics across mm -hmm. the front office and back office. What is really in it for the consumer products companies? If someone had to put a slide together for a presentation to their executive board, what are some examples of the things that they would list and potentially even be able to prove? I'm sure with all of the management consulting out there and research into these things that even we do at our company, what would make it clear that this is something valuable to invest in? John, any thoughts on that? Speed, speed, and more speed, right? Faster time to market for new products and capabilities, faster response to market changes, which seems to be a tidal wave going on here uh, right now. Those are key. More flexible and efficient marketing operations, greater return on your marketing investment, all quantifiable things, right? But certainly speed gets to the top of my list. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd add risk. I mean, the ability to manage risk. A lot of these big companies have been very risk averse in the past. It's because they haven't had to take on risk. I mean, you've got a cash cow like the Coca-Cola sparkling beverage franchise, you know, spending off profitability. It's really hard to launch a completely new product in a new category and give it a fair runway if your expectations are that it reached the same level of profitability as your core business overnight. So finding ways through data, through the data ideation process, the vetting of new product ideas, targeting places where you can be successful so that you can manage the risk, you know, and not simply avoid it. Another angle on that that comes to mind is the idea of visibility into potential investments born of this unification of data that otherwise wouldn't be visible. Think of annual budget planning and the CFO determining where are we placing our bets? What big capital investments are we going to do? Because the rate of return is going to justify it. And there's already a whole bunch of departments vying for this budget saying, hey, invest here because we really think this can do something. Well, what about the things you can't see? 
Suddenly there's extra ones that, while yes, that means there might be more things to consider when you're trying to pick which ones to invest in, there could be ones that are changing business models, that are giving access to something all born of this unification of data that otherwise wouldn't be visible. Leading companies have brought new things to market because they had this available as an option. Wow, the power of connecting people to the same sets of data so they're all <laughs> looking at the same thing. Amazing, right? <laughs> Another aspect of this front office, back office integration is when you talk about demand planning and shaping the demand, a lot of times the supply chain demand is driven by trade spend because it's easier to see the one-to-one -one response of trade investment on velocity and volume. But I think marketing spend also plays a big role, but it's just so difficult when you get down to multiple brands, multiple SKUs to understand the impact of marketing. I remember when I was at the chocolate company a few years ago, you know, there was this situation where we had a weekly meeting with the marketing team, the sales team, and the supply chain team, basically sitting around with three different laptops trying to make a manual consensus on a weekly basis. I think that can be automated and that much more detailed granular consumer data that exists now can drive that to make a much more specific recommendation and prediction of demand. It's not just this manual finger in the air relationship between marketing and supply chain. I think it really needs to be automated and an industrial strength connection point to help these companies manage demand properly. Yeah, it's a great point, and especially, you know, using that example of the marketer, the salesperson, the supply person sitting around the table. I'm sure anyone who's listening to this is probably snickering right now because we've all been there, right? And instead of getting back to what Matt was talking about earlier in his example at Kroger, where you just had this incredible collaboration of people coming together, more times than not, in my experience, you've seen these three entities sitting around the table in conflict with one another based on different views of different data and different agendas, right? So the ability to automate that, yeah. where you get past the cloudiness of what's right versus all just knowing that this is right, now what are we going to go do? Yeah. And how are we going to plan this demand effectively is a big step change in the demand planning space. Yeah, it really brings forward something about how to overcome resistance to progress in companies. And Sonny, as is the point that you just made, and, and John as well, the data is what does it. It's that we're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to say that our agenda is the right one. Instead, the data just shows the right path. And all of a sudden, everyone unifies because there's not some enemy anyone's fighting other than almost ignorance, almost than the lack <laughs> yeah. of insight that's coming from the data. Right. Yeah. Shared adversary, ignorance. I love it. I love it. <laughs> So guys, this has been a great discussion and curious if you have any parting advice for brand leaders out there that are trying to make change happen in their organizations. I guess I would start by just saying, be a leader, think beyond your domain, because it doesn't happen in one domain, it happens across multiple domains to bring an outcome to life. So think beyond your role and think about what a general manager would do. Be a general manager, have that mindset, be a leader. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This digital transformation is going to have to happen if you want to remain successful in this business. And the person that leads it is going to need to be the one that has the closest view and the deepest understanding of the end consumer. Sonny, John, thank you both so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, guys. It was great. Appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. In this episode, we explored how marketing and sales are increasingly reliant on tight back office integration. To ensure you don't miss the next episode, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and check out the show notes for related events, webinars, and resources. 
Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to sharing with you again in the future. Thank you.